0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to DamascusRoadOnline.com. You guys, we've been going through a series on Holy Spirit and understanding more deeply the way that the Spirit works within us, the way the Spirit works through us, what His desires are for us. We started off talking about how the Spirit is a person, right? Not just a power, not just a force that kind of floats around us. As a person that lives within us and works in us and works through us in the world. Way back in the beginning, God, in, God created people to live in deep fellowship with him, right? So we read about in Genesis in the garden how God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Walk side by side with them, in fellowship with them. And then due to their rebellion and their choices... There was a separation that was caused, right? And Jesus came to bridge that separation, to reconcile us to himself. And not only that, not only to to live for us and show us how to live, and not only to die for us and pay the price for our sins and our rebellion, and not only to raise from the dead to overcome the effects of sin and the power of death, but to justify us having the Spirit live within us, the Holy Spirit live within us. And there we get to kind of what Jesus was talking about for centuries. The people who've come before you have longed to see these days that we live in. And Jesus said in one place, it's to your advantage that I go away. You're better off without me physically here because someone is going to come to you. We're we're better off in, in these days than if we were sitting physically with Jesus, according to what he said. Isn't that crazy to you? You ever had that thought, like, if I could just sit with Jesus, if I could just sit at his feet, everything would be all right? Definitely. But he's saying, no, 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 no. You're better off in this time, and this season that I'm preparing for you, because I've justified God in coming to live within you, not just live and dwell within a temple. To not just be on you and upon you, but to be in you. So today we're, we're kind of carrying that on and we're going to look at how the, how the Spirit convicts us. The Spirit as the convictor. That sounds pleasant, right? Does that, does that just sound awesome? Do you want to just have somebody live with, not just like in your ear, but living inside of you, convicting you of all the things? So it sounds, it doesn't sound very appealing, right? But the way that the Spirit works within us is so gentle and so amazing and leading us back to that place of fellowship with God. And so that's what we're going to dig into today how, how the Spirit is leading us back into fellowship. The Spirit is, is convicting us. Another way that that, that, that could be, uh, we can translate that from the New Testament, is not just convicting, but illuminating. The Spirit is illuminating what's in our hearts to bring us back into a place of fellowship, this original intended kind of fellowship. I want to read from Psalm 139, and then I want to pray for us around these words. All right, so here's what David wrote, beginning of Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far off. You search out my path and my lying down. You are, are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, for the night is bright as day. For darkness is as light to you. So he knows our deepest thoughts. He knows our words before we say them. He knows our heart. Wherever we go, he is there with us. And he makes the darkness light. As David goes on to say in verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You know me intimately. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. skip ahead to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, know my cares, And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David communicates this deep, intimate knowledge that God has of him and his presence with him. And then he extends an invitation to to God. Search me. Know me more deeply. Lay bare what's in my heart so that I can be brought into deeper intimacy and relationship with you. All right, so that's our starting point. Let's pray. Your God, we know that, that, you are, that, that you search us out and you know us. You know when we sit down and when we rise up. You know our words before we say them. Where can we go from your spirit, Lord? We've tried, some of us. We've run away and you've been with us. You've formed us, our inward parts, Lord, and you know us. We invite you to to search us. We invite you, Spirit, to bring conviction to our hearts and to illuminate what's there. To bring light to the darkness within and around us, Lord, so that we can walk with you more deeply. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, so starting off, we're going to talk about illuminating light. Okay, The Spirit, as He brings conviction, He brings illuminating light into our hearts. His illuminating light. So, again, look at, look at what... Look, let's, let's look at Jesus. So, Jesus lived for us, right? And as Jesus demonstrated, as He says in, in John, He says, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Because the disciples are like, Hey, Jesus, this is great. But are you going to show us the Father now? And Jesus is like, Really? Guys, after all this time, have you not known Me? If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I replicate The way that the Father acts, what the Father says, what the Father does. Jesus is the Logos, right? He's the Word of God in flesh. We we get our word logic from that, right? Jesus is the demonstration of the logic of God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've known Jesus, you've known the Father. If you've heard Jesus, you've heard the Father. So Jesus lives and He shows us, when I made The first people, this is how I meant for you to live. This is how I meant for you to walk. And he demonstrated. He didn't just download a document to us and say, hey, guys, here, follow steps 1 through 17,000. He said, watch me live and walk as I walk. Well, that's pretty legit, right? This incarnational demonstration of what the Trinity lives like. So Jesus lives for us. And then he dies on the cross to pay the penalty, to pay for the penalty of our debt. So he lives for us. He pays the penalty for us on the cross. And not only that, like I said, he rises, he raises from the dead, and he overcomes the power of death. So think about that the consequences of death in your life. The power of death, the power of sin. Jesus hasn't just lived for you, he hasn't just died for you. But he has overcome the consequences and the power and the reach, the influence of sin in your choices and my choices in our lives. He overcame the grave. And not just that, but he made room for the spirit in our hearts, right? He justified us. And he didn't just justify you and me. He justified the Father. Jesus justified the mercy that God has wanted to extend and has extended to us, and He says, I've fulfilled the law. This is legal. It's all above the table. It's done. It's legit. This mercy is legit. God doesn't just overlook sin and brush it under the rug and say, oh, well. No, He looks at it head on and says, I've paid the price, right? So He makes room for us, for the Spirit within us, and then He he says... Now I'm empowering you. Now, I remember there was a point in my life before Emma and I got married where um, I was kind of meditating on the, on the Trinity and there was a moment where I just kind of had this this lightning flash in my mind and the and I, I had this realization that, that the Trinity lives in perfect love, right? I'm getting, I'm getting ready to get married and if you tally up all the divorces and broken marriages in my family... My parents, my aunts and uncles, my grandparents. I mean, we're talking like dozens. There's a a lot of divorce, a lot of broken commitment going on. And so I'm kind of meditating on this, and I realize that the Trinity demonstrates perfect love, perfect unity, perfect honor, perfect trust, perfect respect, perfect understanding, perfectly laying down preferences for one another. When Jesus says to the Father, I don't want this, but I'll do what you want. Help me to want what you want. And so I have this this realization that the Trinity has demonstrated perfectly what I am longing for in in my marriage coming up, right? And then I realized that Jesus had, had conquered the sin in my life and in my family's lives. He had paid the price. He had conquered the power and the reach of that in my life. And not only that, but he had put the Spirit within me to empower me to live a Trinity lifestyle. Okay? A Jesus lifestyle. And that blew me away. And the next thought that I had was that I can get married. And then I (laughs) took a deep breath and I was like, wow, I am terrified. I didn't even realize it. I didn't realize until that point how terrified I was to make this commitment because what I thought was, well, I'm just a leeson. You ever thought that before about your family? I'm just a Fill in the blank. I'm just this. This is my heritage. This is who I am. I can't help it. I thought I'll get two or three years into this thing and I'll just follow the footsteps of those who have gone before me. That path that's been, you know, leveled out for me. But I had this realization that Jesus not only has died for me, but he has empowered me through the gift of the Spirit to live like he lives. And that blew me away. And I realized that I could get married. (laughs) I didn't have to walk in that path. So Jesus is, He's justified us, He's justified the Father. That means like there's been a legal transaction that's taken place, He's legally brought us into a new status as sons and daughters. He's legally changed our our status to justified. We have been made righteous. So that's kind of a, a descriptive term that we are family now. Okay, so he's justified us to make us righteous. And through the Spirit in our lives, he brings about righteousness. Okay, so that's different than us being justified and made righteous. He brings about righteousness, which is an expression of this family character that we now have. You've been brought into the family. And now the Spirit is working through us to bring about family-ness in our lives. It should be noted, too, that the word righteous throughout the New Testament can just as easily be translated justice. He works through our lives through the power of the Spirit to bring justice through our lives. It's a reflection of the family that we're now a part of. And that happens through the power of the Spirit. We see this, a quick snapshot from from Isaiah's life. The prophet Isaiah. The story of Isaiah's commissioning is amazing. You guys familiar with the story? The whole like coal touching Isaiah's lips and he says, here I am, send me. hear that in Sunday school, maybe some, some time back. So, Isaiah is brought into God's presence. He, he has this, uh, this revelation of, of the majesty of God, and then he has this reaction. He says, woe is me. I am not worthy, and I'm from a people. I am unclean, and I'm from an unclean people, and my lips are unclean. And the angel takes a coal and touches his lips and says, you're cleansed. And then God says, who will go for us? And he says, here I am, send me. And God commissions him. So what's cool about the story is that we see Isaiah walk through this process where he's called, he's cleansed, and he's sent. So first of all, he's called. He's called, first and foremost, he's called not just to a, to a mission. He's called to a person. Okay. So Isaiah's calling was not... Solely to a, to a purpose or to a strategy or to a mission. He was called first and foremost to a person. Isaiah was called to God first. And as he walks into God's presence and he has a revelation of who God is. He has a, a revelation of his brokenness and his guilt and the guilt of his people. And he says, cleanse me. And he acknowledges that. So through the calling to the person, he has the realization. And then his natural response is, send me. I'll go. See, God didn't even say where yet. You, any of you uh, parents like, ever have your kids say that? You're like, well, okay, I'm leaving. They're like, I'm going. I want to go. Like, You don't even know where I'm going. No, 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 I want to come. I'm going to a meeting. No, I want to go. No, really, you don't. You don't want to go. You don't want to go. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody, stay. Stay. Let go of my leg. No, 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 you're staying here. But Isaiah is like that. Like he's he's like, here I am, send me. It's like, okay, it's like when somebody answers the Jeopardy question early, you know. It's like, I got it. I'm going. Send me. Well, Isaiah's natural response to being called to a person is that he he acknowledges his brokenness. He relates to God for who he truly is. And he says the only natural, reasonable response right now is. I want to be a part of what, you're, of what you're doing. Isaiah's response is the fear of the Lord. And this is what, this is what the, the Spirit brings about. So this is the, the, first, the first point here is about the Spirit's illuminating light that he brings. The Spirit gives us revelation of who God is. The Spirit shows us Jesus. The Spirit shows us the Father and shows us what's within us in God's presence. Shines light on what's really within us. John 16.8 says that Jesus says that the Spirit will convict the world of guilt concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So there's, there's one aspect of the conviction that the Spirit brings. He's communicating to the world, communicating to non-believers, guilt and, and condemnation that is there if there's not a, an alignment with fellowship of God, with the purity of God in the doorway that Jesus provides into fellowship with God. There's also the searching and the conviction that the Spirit brings in the life of us as believers. Bringing us more deeply into righteousness, like Paul, like uh, David communicates in Psalm 139. Search me. You have searched me. Continue to search me. So through that, Isaiah arrives at this fear of the Lord. And I want to say a couple of things about this, alright? Proverbs 8, 13. Some really significant statements here about the fear of the Lord. And this is a topic that is so easily misunderstood because we just don't have great wording around this in English. But hang with me here. One of the most significant works of the Spirit in our lives is to impart fear of the Lord. And this is not just like some seminary course or some specialized spiritual thing. For you, if if you follow Jesus, God calls you to walk in the fear of the Lord. If you're not interested in following Jesus, then okay, you can set that aside. But if you are, God is calling you to walk in the fear of the Lord. So the first thing I want to point out about the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 8.13 says, is that the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pause there. Fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. It's not just the hatred of, of you got caught. See what I'm saying there? It's not just like the fear of consequences. See, a lot of us, like, it's not that we hate evil. It's that we hate the consequences of getting caught, right? And sometimes we're like, oh, I'm so sorry. No, you're not sorry. You're just sorry you got caught, right? You with me? And so if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of we walk that line sometimes. But as God works in our hearts, he helps us to hate what he hates. Hate the, the, the personal sin in our lives. Also, the, the, the societal sin around us and the consequences of that in other people's lives. Not just because you got caught. But God works within us to make it repulsive to us. Another significant statement about the fear of the Lord, Psalm 25, verse 14 It's one of my favorite pictures in Scripture. It says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. Another way that this is translated is the secret of the Lord, or the intimate friendship of God. And this this word friendship, in the the, the way that it's kind of rooted in, in the Hebrew language, a lot of these more abstract terms, or all of them in the Hebrew language, are rooted back in something very concrete. So if you kind of dig in and you look at this word friendship or secret, it's rooted in this word picture around a cushion. That sounds deep, right? A cushion. Well, we're talking like Old Testament times, cushion within a tent. And to be invited into someone's tent is to be invited into fellowship, right? Into a place of hospitality. So if I say here, sit here, on, on my cushion, that's an invitation to deep friendship, an invitation to deep fellowship. So just sw- switch that up. The cushion of the Lord is for those who fear Him. If you want to come into the tent of the Lord and sit down in fellowship with Him, it's only for those who relate with Him for who He truly is. We've got to start from a place of reality like Isaiah and say, Wow, wow, Your Majesty God. You are majestic. And when we relate with Him for who He truly, truly is, and responding from an honest place of where we're really at, that enables us to come into a place of fellowship with Him. To be imparted. How many of you want to know like the secrets of God? And I'm not talking like a Da Vinci Code, kind of like mystical, what are the codes of, of Scripture kind of thing, but the secret, like the, the special, intimate friendship with God. It's for those who fear Him. So the Spirit brings illumination of who God is, but also what's in our hearts and helps us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Now as we, as, we, as we walk that out, I want to just pause on that and say something because this is important in terms of conviction around sin in our lives. There's a distance between, hang with me here, there's a distance between want to and over here, is want to want to. You with me? Does that make sense? Over here is want to, and here is want to want to. Have you ever wanted to want something that you didn't want? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? You you want to want something, but you don't want it. And But as God works in our hearts, we start to actually want it. Right? There's kind of a parallel to that with the guy that's talking to Jesus, and he says, Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, I believe. Help me to believe. Help my unbelief. I'm, I'm getting there. And if we can start from a place of, put, put aside all of, your, all of your religious charades. Put aside all of how you're supposed to look and what you're supposed to be doing. Stop lying about what you actually want. Okay? Stop lying about that you don't hate sin. Okay? Just get real honest and from a place of honesty and openness, if we can communicate to God and to others, I don't want to live right. I don't. I don't want you, God. I, I don't want that at all. But if we, can, if we can get to that place and say, but I want to want it, then God, that's a place where God can meet us because the gap from here to here, that's spanned by grace. That's spanned by empowering grace that the Spirit brings forth in our lives. But a lot of times, those of us who've grown up in you know, Christian homes and Christian schools and uh, Sunday school and Awanas and whatever else, we're like, oh no, I'm supposed to want this, so that's what I want. And that's all that we say. We can't get honest, we can't get real. But if we can get to this place of openness and humility and say, I don't want it, but I want to want it. From my experience, that's, that's the start of a lifestyle of righteousness and of avoiding sin. And we can get to that place of honesty. So, I wanna, number one, I wanna challenge you get honest about what you want and ask God to help you want what He wants. To walk in the fear of the Lord. To walk in the fear of the Lord is to hate what He hates and to love what He loves. Do you love what He loves? Do you hate what He hates? Are you kinda cozy with it? Are you trying to find the line? I'm like, well, how close to this can I get? What's the line? A lot of times when we're like counseling young couples, Emma and I will do this from time to time because we so desperately needed it at one point in our lives. So We're like, anybody need it? Okay, we'll give it to you. And a lot of the questions, a lot of times that we get is, well, how far can we go, right? Well, how far is too far? Well, that's the wrong question. I hate that question. Anytime I get that question, I'm like, I'm not going to answer that. You're backing me into a corner. And I feel like God kind of has the same feeling about it. It's like, don't back me into that corner. It's not about how far can you go. It's about what direction is your heart going, right? It's not about where's the line. It's about what direction are you moving? Is your orientation around God? Because we kind of have this boxed thing. We have this boxed idea about the church and Christianity. And the question is, are you in or are you out? Well, that's the wrong question. The question is, what direction are you moving? Right? What direction are you moving? And that's why we can have somebody walk in the door and be broken and hooked on meth whose whose heart is moving toward Christ and say, come on in. And you can have somebody who looks just right and whose shoes are shiny and who's giving and coming to church every week and whose heart is moving away from Christ and Jesus rebukes that person and says, I never knew you. Get away from me. That's, That's pretty intense, don't you think? The question is, what direction are we going? And do we love what he loves and hate what he hates? And do we welcome that illuminating work of the Spirit in our lives? All right. The second thing I want to talk about is pain that heals. So the, the Spirit brings, through his conviction, he brings pain that heals. Any of you ever experienced pain that heals? Any of you ever resisted pain that heals? Think of like, as a kid, you've got, you like fell down on your skateboard or your bike and you're, uh, you're bleeding and your shirt's like all stuck to it, and you're like, no, leave it, leave it, it's fine. Leave the bandage on, leave the band-aid on. And you're like, no, we got to uncover it to be healed, right? And James says that if we confess our sins to one another, he's faithful to heal. The healing is contingent upon revealing. Experiencing that, that pain that, that, bring, that brings things to the light. Healing is contingent upon revealing, it depends on it. Are we too proud to reveal? What do you think? Where are you at? You with me? All right. Happy New Year. All right. <laughs> Hebrews 12 makes some important statements around this, especially verse 5 through 11 want to focus on for a second. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says, you have, "'Have you forgotten the exhortation "'that addresses you as sons and daughters? "'My son, do not regard lightly "'the discipline of the Lord, "'nor be weary when reproved by him.' for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Have you ever heard that statement? Like, this hurts me more than it hurts you? Your parents tell you that? You're like, no. No. It doesn't. I promise you right now, it doesn't. And but some of us have been disciplined for our parents' satisfaction because they didn't like the way we made us made them look in public. Maybe we react that way to some of us as some of our kids. It's like it's not so much for their good, it's that I don't want to be made a fool in the grocery store. And so I'm disciplined. It's not for their good, it's for my good and my satisfaction, right? For my reputation. But God only disciplines us for his for our good so we can participate in the family, character, and with holiness and righteousness. It's for our good and for our well-being. It's good. Parallel to this, the, the NFL is learning this, right? If you guys pay attention to the NFL and all the, the controversy around concussions. Anybody see that movie with Will Smith? He's a doctor, concussions, I haven't seen it. Is it good? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Alright. I'm not quite convinced by that, but uh, it looks good. The, um, so the NFL, the, the, the National Football League in the US is walking through uh, having to come face to face with all these like, this high number of concussions that people are experiencing that's, that's affecting their lives and there are lawsuits around it and all kinds of things, right? When you ignore pain, it causes problems. And what happens eventually is that you become deadened to it. It's like an alarm clock that's by your bed, and you keep hitting it and keep hitting it and keep hitting it. And sooner or later, what happens? It stops. it stops. And you wake up three hours late for work. And you get fired. And you go hungry. And then, you know, it's the domino effect. See, that, that, the pain that, that God brings into our lives, and even the, that we experience physically, is revealing to us of something that's not right. And if you ask a leper about the pain that they, that they, the feeling that they're missing in their foot, for example, they'll tell you that they missed that pain because it revealed to them when they stepped on a rusty nail in the past. And now that, that feeling is gone, which leaves you open to all kinds of infection and issues like that. The absence of pain is a problem. The pain that God brings is good through His discipline. God calls us to walk in the light. Do you have that picture, Paul? Can we get that up? About the plant? What's that? Oh, okay, there's no picture. All right, take my word for it. If you plant a seed too deeply, it causes problems. Right? If you're gardening, you plant a seed too deeply, it causes problems. If the, if the soil is warm, that seed will germinate. It'll open and it'll come to life. But if it's too deep, it'll come to life and it'll grow up and be pale and weak. And it might reach the surface sometime or it might just die below the soil. Think about the tragedy of that. You've got a seed that, that comes to life and grows and then it dies before it reaches the light. But the warmth... Creates a space where where that where that growth can happen. You guys, we're kind of like that, where we God brings warmth to us and it gives a place where we can belong. It gives a place where we can be accepted and experience affection of Him and of other people. But He also God doesn't just bring warmth, but He brings light. Okay, so we've got to kind of move from that place of warmth and acceptance and belonging to a place of light where the plant goes from kind of a pale, um, pale, weak thing to when it comes into the light, it can photosynthesize and start to create nourishment. Oh, there you go. So you can see what happens to these plants at, at deeper depths. They just stop there. They get stunted. They stop growing, and they eventually die. Between one inch and two inch, that's kind of the, the, the ideal for many types of seeds. You guys, we have to open ourselves up to this kind of pain that God brings into our lives. We've got to bring ourselves into the light and not just kind of stay in the warmth. But a lot of us stop at the warmth and we don't go on to the light. But God calls us to, to begin with the warmth and walk into the light. But a lot of us, like, we, we love the warmth though and we just want to stay there. We sing songs about it. All, the only songs that we sing are about how God wants to hold me and he loves me. it's like a kiss. And it's like, it's all cozy. And we love that. And I'll raise my hands during worship while we're singing that song. And then when it comes time to reveal my life to another person, I'm like, nope, I'm good. Don't judge. Don't judge. I hate that statement. Can we ban that from usage? Can I do that? Okay, what? Okay. I got the go-ahead go from Tony. Don't judge. Don't judge is just me saying, I want, an, I want an excuse for the wrong way I want to live. We love the warmth, but then when it comes to walking in the light, we're like, no, thank you. But God calls us to, to yes, there's a place for, for the warmth, and we need that. We need to come back to it and be rooted in it. Now, bring ourselves into the light because healing is contingent upon revealing, Right? Inviting the Spirit's light into our lives and revealing it to one another. Revealing our lives to one another. Now, there's a difference, though, in the conviction that God brings and the condemnation and accusation that the enemy brings. And other, other sources, too. There's a difference in that, in that you know, there, there's, actually, there's actually four different sources, four different voices that kind of go on in our lives. One can be God's voice. One can be our own voice, just what we're telling ourselves in our own head. One can be voice, words of other people around us. And another would be the enemy. The New Testament describes the enemy as the accuser. He, he sits in accusation of us and of God. And when, when, we, when we are hearing things in our heads... When, we, when thoughts come into our minds, we got to stop and think, well, where is this coming from? And a lot of times we think, well, I've, this makes me feel guilty. It can't be God. Well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. A lot of times God's revealing light leads us to a place where we're like, oh, man, I'm guilty. Like Isaiah, woe is me. I'm unclean. That's not bad. That's helpful. There's a nail in your foot. Pull it out, right? That's helpful. So God's, but God's conviction is different than the condemnation that maybe you heap on yourself, that others heap on you, and that the enemy heaps on you. Well, how are those different from each other? The, the conviction that God brings is always specific, all right? It's like a surgeon's scalpel right on the spot. He's like, we're going to do work right here. It's like a, um, a deep tissue massage. Like, we're going to do work here. Like, bam. You're like, oh. I know this is good for me, but I can't breathe. It's like that, the surgeon's scalpel that kind of goes right on target and says, this is the place that we're going to work. We're removing something that's not naturally, shouldn't, shouldn't be a part of your body. We're going to remove this and take it out of you so that your body can heal. Well, the condemnation comes along and says, oh, we're just going to destroy you because you suck. It's not a scalpel, it's a sledgehammer. You lay it out on the table. You're like, all right, I'm ready for work. And they come, oh, this isn't covered by my insurance. I didn't sign up for the sledgehammer treatment. If it deals with your identity, if it deals with you as a person and your life as a whole, chances are it's not from God. Because God always provides a way forward. This is God's God's work with us deals with our actions our choices and where we need to go from there The condemnation that comes from the enemy from other places. There's no way out. We get stuck We're like, I don't know how to move ahead. I'm just terrible. I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible dad Well, that doesn't sound like God does it? You were rude to your kids. Okay, there we go We can work with that, right? All right, let's take steps I want to invite my friends into my life. I want to show them I, want to, I need to be open and transparent with you. This is, this is the pattern in my life. God, help me. Help me to want what you want. But over here, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible person. Well, there's no way out of that, is there? So we got to stop and ask, well, who, who said that, right? So when we're thinking about conviction that God brings in our lives and thoughts that come into our life, we got to stop and ask, well, who said that, right? Whose voice is that? Jesus promises in John chapter 10 that his sheep, he says, I am a good shepherd. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. That's a statement. It's also a promise that if you know him, you will follow him. You, will, you know his voice. You know that gentle leading and that gentle calling. We will follow him. A lot of times we need other people's help to clarify those voices too. I might call up Phil. Phil, you mind if I give you a call? I need to get your number 1st Be You're like, Phil, I'm just, man, I, I just got to check in with you quick. This is what I, this kind of the rut that, I, that I'm in today, and I'm thinking about this. Just, I need some perspective. And he's like, well, think about this. Well, how about this? That's not right. Look, at, this is what Scripture says. And just somebody outside of my own head to kind of reflect back to me what's true. We all need that, you guys. You cannot live effectively as a Christian and growing like Jesus calls you to without people, other people in your life, okay? Period. You need people in your life that you are transparent with, period. If you're not interested in following Jesus, then ignore that statement. If you are, you must be transparent with other people and with yourself. And with God, it's not an option. You can't do it on your own. That's how we're designed. We're designed for relationship. You know the first thing that Scripture says is not good? To be alone, right? To be isolated. It's the first thing that Scripture says is not good. It's being alone, being isolated. We were made for relationship. All right. So we're talking about The light the Spirit brings, this inviting light. We're talking about pain that heals. and I want to close up talking about inviting the Spirit. So we've been invited into God's presence. And Psalm 139 wraps up with David inviting the Spirit. Saying, search me, know me, I want this. Galatians 5, Paul talks about staying in step with the Spirit. Staying in step with the Spirit you look back on in Exodus, look at God's people leaving slavery, crossing the Red Sea, and they're out in the wilderness, and they're guided by a, uh, a fire by night and a cloud during the day. And when the cloud moves, when, when the cloud moves, they move. And if you've ever been in the desert, two o'clock in the afternoon, if there's a cloud in the sky, you move with that cloud. right? You're like, "Oh, I'm going to follow that. follow that. And if you've camped in the desert or slept in the desert overnight, if there's a fire, you're, you're going to be by it because it's cold at night and it's hot in the day, right? So what's interesting is that in, in this cloud and in this fire is both their protection and their guidance. It's their protection and their guidance. So, and some of us, some of us, We've we've left that, we've left the protection and the guidance. And some of us are left kind of in a place where we're like, "Well, I don't feel the Spirit's presence in my life. I don't, don't hear Him speaking to me." We've got to go back. There's this really interesting episode in Second Kings chapter six. Second Kings chapter six. Elisha is out with some of. Uh, so Elisha's Old Testament prophet, he's out with some of his disciples and they're doing some work. They're cutting down trees and one of Elisha's disciples is cutting and is next to, next to some water and the axe head falls into the water. And he makes the statement, oh, it was borrowed. This is just funny to me. It was borrowed. I got to get this thing back. And the prophet comes over to him and says, where did it fall? He says, it fell right there. The prophet touched the water, the axe head floats up, they retrieve it, they're able to return it to its owner. Is there something in this that, that, that really parallels what, where we're at and what we need? We, a lot of times, we've got to go back to where, where we lost it. We need to go back to where we lost it, go back to God's guidance and protection, and say, This is where I lost it, I got to go back, and you got to make it right. You got to retrieve it. So if that's where you're at, well, where's the last time that you heard God? What's the last directive? What's the last sense of conviction that you had? What was it? I want you just to think about that, really, concretely. Where, where did you lose it? And what does it look like to go back there? What does it look like to go back there? There's a couple... We tend to fall into a couple different categories as 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 believers, okay? As Christians, we tend to fall into a couple different categories. One is people who want to go back to Egypt, so we're like we're like the uh, we're like the God's people in the wilderness who were delivered from slavery, and then they're like, you know what? This whole desert thing, not really cut out for it. This whole camping thing, not really my gig. Uh, we were better off in Egypt. There was meat in the pot, and Moses is like, yeah, but you guys were slaves. Well, it was cool. At least we had meat in the pot. Some of us were like that. We, we've left slavery. Jesus has cut it off. And even our, our slave master has been done away with as we cross over. And we're like, I, it was comfortable there. I just want to go back to what I know. I just want to go back to what's comfortable. It's, it, brings me, it brings me comfort. I, I, know how, I know how to live there. Freedom is hard. Decision-making is hard. See, the thing is, when we're enslaved to sin, it's like our, our life is kind of mapped out for us. It's follow this, follow this path, follow this addiction. But then you step out of that, and you're like, well, what do I do? I've got to make choices now. I'm going to go back to Egypt. Some of us are like that. We wanna, we've left slavery, God parted the water, we want to go back. You've left Egypt, but Egypt is still in you. You with me? Some of us are in that place. We just haven't gotten to a place to to really deal, get down to the nitty gritty and deal with life and invite people and say, this is where I'm at. This is what I want. Help me to want what God wants. Help me to be honest. Now, some of us, though, we're like a story further on in Acts chapter 16. There's a story, Acts chapter 16, where the apostle Paul is setting out on a missionary journey and, and they're working, they're working and they're traveling north and it says, The Spirit... Oh, here we go. Having been forbidden by the Spirit... So they, were, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Trous, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, so sometimes we're like that. Some of us, were like, we're like, let's go back to Egypt, and some of us are trying to get into Asia. Now, these are figurative, all right? This isn't a geography lesson. Okay. Some of us are like, we're trying to get into Asia, and the Spirit's saying, no, 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 no. Quit traveling north. Quit trying to push for that. And we're like, yeah, 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 but, but we got to go. We gotta, I, I got a mission. I got to keep going. And the Spirit's like, no. See, what happened with Paul was that Paul and his crew, the Spirit told them to pause, stop traveling north. And in that pause, in that waiting, Paul received a vision from Macedonia, further west. And then I love this statement in verse 10 when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go. But some of us, we're not like Paul. We won't pause. We won't wait. We keep pushing, pushing, pushing. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go because I got to produce. I need output. That's my value. That's my importance is what I'm producing, right? Some of us, we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and we won't just pause so that we can hear God bring conviction into our hearts and say, no, this is where I want you to go. But some of us have crossed that line and we kept going, and we got to backtrack and say, All right, back down south, that's where I left the Spirit's guidance. I got to go back there and say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. See, we, <laughs> we can't just compartmentalize our relationship with God into, uh, into sections, just like you wouldn't with your spouse or with your friend or with somebody else. Let's say like your boss. Let's say your boss is telling you, hey, I want you to do this and this and this by 5 o'clock, and then you ignore it. And then you say, hey, you want to go out for a drink after work? And he's like, or she's like, well, no, you just ignored me all day. What do you mean? We can't just be friends. But we try to do that with God, right? Like God said, no, stop there. And we're like, no, I'm good. I'm going over here. And we kind of raise our hands on Sunday morning, and God's like, whoa, what about down south? What, What was that? See, we got to backtrack and make things right. But for those of us trying to get into Asia, trying to push, 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 you need to know that God's purposes are bigger than your plans, right? God's purposes are bigger than your preferences. They're bigger than your passions. And if you would be willing to just stop and lay those down, then He could impart that to you. If we would just stop long enough, I want to challenge you, how many of us have actually had that experience of saying, God, my life is yours. I'll do what you want me to do. Even if it involves me quitting this job, if it involves me moving, if it involves, have you really, have you laid it all down? I'm not just talking like in a, in a soft kind of, like, uh, you know, vague kind of sense, but literally, have you? If you hear his voice today, stop hardening your heart. And <laughs> let's walk in fellowship with him. See, the thing is that as we we awaken ourselves, as we respond to the conviction that God has brought into our lives, it brings us more close to Him. And we start to feel Him more intimately. And before, when we needed to get shaken and slapped upside the head and say, hey, listen to me, now it's just a nudge. Some of you have been married for a while, maybe you know that. Where before, in the first year of marriage, it was like, hey, listen to me. And you're 15, you see the look, and you're like, oh, I know what that look means. <laughs> I know that look. See, the Spirit wants us to know that look. He wants us to know that nudge. He wants us to know that whisper. He wants us to know Him more deeply. But for, for a lot of us, we've got to backtrack, because we've left it. And it's possible. It's possible to walk with Him. But we've got to backtrack. All right, I want to invite the worship team and I want to just challenge us to respond to God. Next week, we're going to talk about repentance and it'll be kind of a continuation of this. Of like, well, how do we actually do this? How do we actually make things right and get right with God? Through the leading of the Spirit. All this is by the invitation of the Spirit to us as sons and daughters because He longs to be with us. He's inviting us. So I want to, I want to challenge you. To allow him to speak to you now and say, well, God, is there a place where I've left your guidance, where I've left your conviction? Spirit, may you have more of me. May you have more space in our hearts. All right, so let's, uh, let's listen to, to, to anything that he wants to say to us. I want to challenge you to share whatever you feel him saying to you with someone else whether it's during this time or maybe over lunch as you go away from here, um, we're going to take communion and just receive again and be reminded of his reconciling work and invitation to us. Pray with us. Pray for us. Lord, we invite you to speak. We long to hear your voice. Help us to backtrack, Lord, where we've left you behind. Take Egypt, take take enslavement out of our hearts, Lord. We invite you, Spirit, to have all of us, to have more of us this morning. Thank you, God.